Hi, everybody. Welcome. It's another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, and um, today I've got uh, Dan Hodgins here. Hi, Heather. <laughs> and Mike Huber. <laughs> Hello. It's so weird when I do back-to-back recording because Dan and I just did an episode and now we right. have to pretend like we're just seeing each other again. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad you're both here. We're going to talk about um, an article that was uh, published in Exchange Magazine, um, which if people, listeners haven't noticed, picked up on this yet, I love Exchange Magazine. <laughs> um uh, they they have some good stuff. Anyway, the article is called Rough and Tumble Play, A Way to Tackle Socially Constructed Norms by Nick Tarones. I'm going to guess that's how his name is pronounced. I'm Nick, pretty if I'm sure, wrong, but... correct me. Yeah. Um, so the article itself is not necessarily like previous articles I've read about rough and tumble play where it's here's why you should do it and here's what's good about it and here's the value of it. But it's it's talking about his experience with how other people that how he's noticed other people responding differently to rough and tumble play when it's with boys or when it's with with girls um, with with the asterisk he says in this article I talk about gender and rough and tumble play I refer to the binary forms of gender boys and girls in respect to their development as toddlers individuals whose sense of self is just beginning to bloom it's not my intention to exclude any other gender or to, or to assign children's identity so I wanted to work that in so that I don't get um, people already sort of shutting off because right. because we're only using the words boys and girls. Um, but let me let me start with this piece from the middle of the article. He says, my belief that all children of any gender, <clears throat> including and most certainly toddlers, are competent and capable. They carry a tremendous capacity for the potential to be resilient, powerful, and brave. And these qualities will only grow as far as and as much as we adults allow. Um, which standing alone, I think, is a powerful statement. But in this, um, this context of do we treat rough and tumble play differently and are the girls not benefiting, getting the same benefits that the boys are um, and other people's attitudes about it, I guess that's kind of where I think we'll go. Um, but I want to let each of you talk a little bit about why you're here to talk about this one <laughs> or what your thoughts are about it. Mike, are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to start. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to say, in some ways, I'm going to make this personal. When this article came out, um, I just, for me, I just felt like a, a kindred spirit because I had, I've had the same issue, right? That people, oh, yeah, I have boys in my class. So can you tell me what mm -hmm. to do, mm -hmm. sort of thing? And it was just like, I kept finding that, you know, kids of any gender were really interested if as a teacher, I made sure they knew it was okay. Because certainly I set the tone as a teacher and I, friends I know, you know, who have classrooms also, regardless of their own gender, um, the kids also will, you like, you know, be worried or do it, but, you know, kind of like stop to look to see if the teacher's okay with it. And yet I found that, um, not only do girls engage in this play, that some girls, like it's their favorite thing. And we, I remember the first year I started allowing it, there's one girl who was new to the class, everyone else knew each other. Mm. And we were talking about rough and tumble play and how, and all the kids said, oh, you know, I, I rough house with my dad. It was mm -hmm. always dad in it. And she just turned to me and said, 
I roughhouse with my dad too. Maybe if I roughhouse with these guys, we could be friends. Did she really? <laughs> and it was just like, oh, thesis is done, you know? So, um, <laughs> but I thought it was, it was, you know, like that she articulated it better than it, um, any adult I've seen until mm -hmm. Nick did this yeah. article. Um, <laughs> and, and it turned out that they, they quickly learned that it took two others to take her down that she was the, <laughs> she was, even though she was the youngest in the class, she uh -huh. could take nice. anyone on. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I, just, I don't know. I just find this article like liberating in that sense of, like I constantly feel like when I talk about run and tumble play, I have to pause and say, I'm not talking about boys. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about when kids play rough. Yeah. Um, I so. I think I rough know, and tumble play answer to just say, I agree with them. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I think often it's seen as a remedy for the boy problem. Correct. This right. rough and tumble play yeah. instead of as an opportunity right. for all. Children. And maybe that's the other thing I want to get at is this idea that it's a remedy mm, okay. rather I'm than a, note. a child's right to play. Right. You know, it's more yeah. like, Oh, they only can play this way if they need it. Yeah. <laughs> if they show me they need it, then right. I'll if, do it. If we see that they can't sit in circle time, will allow a little rough and tumble play. Yeah. And, and where I came from with the article is the fact that uh, it's really not about what gender um, enjoys or needs rough and tumble play. It's the adult's attitude about rough and tumble play. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and, and I think frequently in programs they will say things, and Mike, you might have heard this too, is, is I'm, we need to hire a male in the program so that we have more rough and tumble play. Uh, and, and I'm thinking, wait a minute here, why does it have to be more male? Not that I don't want males, because I do yeah. in the program, but the idea that only may, adult males uh, can create and establish a climate of rough and tumble play really does set a tone uh, for social consciousness, mm -hmm. essentially, mm -hmm. and and I and yeah. I that's the part um, that I find missing in the article. Not that <laughs> I don't support it. I was like Mike. I yeah. I was excited to um, to read uh, that somebody else believes uh, in rapid double play. <laughs> that was exciting in itself. Yeah. Um, but I I worry that. Um, that we, again, establish it only for a particular gender. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about it as a remedy first for what people perceive yeah. and, and, yeah. and call, like conference presentations use the phrase, the boy problem all the time. Right. right. Um, so why, why is it more than a remedy, do you think? Or why is it not a remedy? Why should we not say Well, that? I mean, I think if you just look at the needs of children for sensory input, if you want to just go abstract with it. I mean, we could go into just the spiritual idea of like that children need to play and need to have joy, right? Uh -huh. So that, so I'm not trying to um, not talk about that one too, yeah. but um, I feel like people who say that, I often talk about, so what's the sensory diet? Mm -hmm. You know, so a child who needs sensory input needs to be jumping, needs to be, uh, roughhousing needs to be, and they'll usually find what they need, right? They're going to be climbing on something. They're going to be <clears throat> knocking things over. They're going to be carrying ridiculous things around. Like here, I'll, I'm just going to carry this chair over my head yeah. for no reason. <laughs> we have you one know, of those. Like, 
green yeah. totter alligator things outside oh. and they just carry that around and like try and get it up the slide yeah. and carry it with them yeah it's so fun the things they choose right so they're showing you what they need and um and maybe it is like i i find for teachers who aren't like don't naturally want to rough house with kids if i talk about the sensory needs then it's a little easier for them to watch that and say oh yeah mm-hmm. he's showing me he needs this or she's showing me she needs this or they're showing me they need mm-hmm. this input so therefore what can i do um just this week i was in a classroom right before nap time a teacher's reading a book to kind of settle kids down but these three kids were over on the side playing family and the baby was supposed to be going to sleep and he was like had his hands on a shelf and was jumping up and down. <laughs> and I'm thinking what great sensory input this kid is n- like, he's, he's always a hard one for them to nap. To- <laughs> yeah. And sure yeah. enough, like, so I just allowed it and the other teacher clearly was not comfortable, but it's, you know, I've, I'm yeah. the coach. So they're yeah. kind of letting me do it. Yeah. Though they did call over two or three different times. Like, Hey, you guys, <laughs> it's not time to play the way. And I just, you know, kind of like, you know, gave that nod of like, don't worry, we got it. Yeah. And sure enough, those all, well, two of the three kids there slept then. And they're kids that usually are really loud during nap time. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I try to always to explain, by the time you see that a child really needs this, it means 30 minutes ago, they needed the input. And uh-huh. if you just don't allow it, you're, you're still going to get the behavior. You just have to decide, do you want it to be while you're trying to put kids to sleep? <laughs> Or do you want it to be a half hour before and half time? <laughs> you know, because the, it happens. So, so I guess that's the way I, I think of it as just kids have sensory, if you think of it as a diet, like you don't wait until a kid is so hungry that they're going to pass out or they're going to chew on their friends. <laughs> you give them food at, you know, intervals uh-huh. <laughs> throughout the day. And the same should be happening with things that involve the whole body. And for some kids, that's roughhousing. Yeah. That's a good so, way to look at it. And there are people, it, they'll do it. <clears throat> there are people who would say you had me at play as a right. And then there are others who need that little right, bit of right. extra um, rationale to, to make it click for them. And so. I, yeah. I kind of do the same thing. Mike is, is as Mike is because, and I focus on how rough and tumble play can create empathy uh, because there are so many adults who, um, often view it as opposite of that, that rough and tumble play. It's not possible to create empathy uh, if we allow children to jump on each other or jump on an adult or jump up and down in a, a, a cabinet. And so looking at how we create that sense of social justice um, by creating a sense of empathy uh, is, is it's easier for people, I think, to accept um, that rough and tumble play is an essential uh, part of creating that. Um, they're more willing to receive um, the idea. It's, it's, it's interesting to me that it's, it's easier for them to accept um, going outside and running and climbing on climbers and swinging real high if they have a swing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's so easy for them to accept that but they view rough and tumble play still as creating a sense of violence or aggression. Matter of fact, even in the article, they're talking a little bit about at the very, it's a teachable moment for social justice. Um, And they looked at it in terms of how to help children become less aggressive Mm -hmm. by providing rough and tumble play. 
and I look at it as how do we create a sense of empathy mm-hmm. through rough and tumble plays. It's it's kind of a, um, a, a easier for them to accept that it's a is it an authentic natural experience. Yeah. And with that, I think the important part of empathy, because this is one I see people who just start doing rough and tumble, is that often the way a child shows that, oops, that was too much for me, you're getting a little too rough, is they will cry. Yes. Cry in the way that as soon as the child's, the one child stops, the other child stops crying. Right. And for (laughs) a lot of new teachers new to this or adults new to this, they think, oh, we have to stop it. Yes. Because someone's crying. But if you just pause and watch, they're showing that empathy, right? Like, oh, they're starting to cry. I better stop and see if they're okay. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they do that, the other child knows, oh, okay, I can trust you. You're being em- empathetic with me. Let's rough house more. And so when they first start, there'll be a lot more crying. And you know that type of cry where they stop when the other person stops, that's different than if someone actually gets hurt and is, you know, needs an adult assistance. Uh-huh. But if you just pause and watch for two extra seconds, you, you can figure it out. But I do know the you know, adults have that, if you've never allowed it before, you know, you want to jump in and, and um, save the kid. And, mm-hmm. and then you're kind of spoiling the whole empathy <laughs> uh, relationship. I don't know what right. yeah, empathetic yeah. Um, actions uh-huh. are actually happening. So before we can even look at rough and tumble play as any sort of um, context for social justice and and um, gender equity and those kinds of things. We have to be comfortable with the fact that kids deserve it and need it regardless. Like we, we have to be comfortable allowing it or facilitating it and supporting it um, for all the children. And, and that's, I think, a, a foundational step before we can get to this next. Um, like I've got, I've got a little girl in the class right now who, when we're inside, would play in the dramatic play kitchen all day long, just taking care of her babies and accumulating plates really is all she wants to do is have all the plates. But we go outside and she is wild. She's running and she's chasing and she's um, trying to get, she's the only girl. So she's trying to get the other kids who are boys to chase her around. And um, uh, it's, it's interesting that she clearly has that need still, even though her, her personality seems to be this quiet, sedentary play kind of person. Um, she still has that, that need to meet that, um, those urges and, and to play in that way. Um, but again, she's outside, so we don't think anything of it. We think this is what outside is for. And, and then we think, yeah. well, we let, her, we let her get her energy out. So now she'll comply when she's inside, which is the other piece of rough and tumble play that I um, have lots of conversations about. Right. And I'd get the energy out. Yeah. Um, we could spend an hour on that. Yes. Right. Too. Cause, um, also it's just their right. <laughs> it's their right. And a need it's, it's not a tool. It's not a remedy again for right. parts of the only reason you're rest. allowed to, um, run or play rough is because it'll get your energy out so we can do the important thing. Yes. Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. We'll, we'll do that one another day. How we set up an environment to, you know, art area, uh, blocks, uh, science, whatever people decide is is important, also um, doesn't support the idea of rough and tumble uh, plays. So mm-hmm. 
the fact, I, mean, I don't know about you, Mike, but often I'll get questions of how do you set up a rough and tumble area? I think I asked you that question about right. five years ago. You know, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> An area. Uh, but I think that's the framework that especially new teachers um, are uh, induced to and, and created um, by whatever training they they've had rather than looking at um, how do we integrate a variety of ex experiences and that rough and tumble play is part of that variety mm -hmm. uh, of experiences. And, and I don't think we're going to be able to get out of that until we move from, um, you know, looking at only particular sections or areas of the classroom right. is allowed that experience. And I think like you pointed, Heather, when she goes outside, she, she's allowed to be mm -hmm. wild, mm -hmm. uh, essentially, but inside right. the area might create uh, a different mood because there's not an integration of rough and tumble play, essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for children under the age of eight, certainly under the age of five, the need for movement, the need for sensory input, all of that is greater than the need to read. And I don't think there's a single teacher who would stop a child from reading away from the bookshelf <laughs> or the book area right. or library, whatever. Um, and yet the thing that children need the most at this age is relationships and, you know, physicality. And that's like, well, you have to wait till you go outside. And so, yeah, wait till you go outside to read the book. Wait till you go outside. You know, <laughs> we wouldn't do it for we'll anything else. To the you can't hug your friend. There. Yeah. I mean, even if we just thought of it as this is one way to hug your friend, mm. um, would we tell a child to stop hugging in other cases? I mean, maybe while one kid's on the toilet, you might <laughs> like give them a little space. Right. Thought, there might be There might be some time where it's not appropriate <laughs> or while the child's sleeping. Right. Um, yes. But other than that, you wouldn't stop a child from hugging someone. This isn't the hugging area, you know, like. Right. That's the, that... What do we call that? The, the quiet corner, a whole other. Well, and that's the thing. I think kids find the place that no one's using to be rough. Mm -hmm. And so the quiet corner is often the place because they're not going to interrupt other kids. And there's cushions. No one else is over there. Let's go. <laughs> there's cushions. Let's go over there. And the two or three of us will just start wrestling. They're actually using, you know, decision-making skills, being empathetic with the rest of the group. And the first thing teachers usually do is say, that's the quiet area. You can't. Yeah. Right. It's like, so now they're going to try to do it in the block area and knock over someone's building and get in trouble again. Yeah. Or the circle rug. <laughs> oh, <this. laughs> becomes the wrestling ring exactly <laughs> yeah. It, yeah i mean it makes sense yeah. like they're really good at figuring out where to do it yeah it's interesting because i keep indicating to people who are in the interview process of hiring new staff the idea of they're interested in in what they see is important for children but the question relating to rough and tumble play is hardly ever introduced in an interview. To me, uh, it's important to, you know, to know whether or not, not an adult will get down on the floor and let children jump on them. Mm -hmm. uh, those kinds of things are, are crucial, but very seldom have I ever heard someone ask uh, an adult who's new to a program uh, how they view that. 
uh, and why is it crucial? And, and I think that's where it almost has to start um, because you, you want someone who is not only aware of what rough and tumble play is, but would encourage support and allow it to happen uh, is crucial. Yeah. Right. One of the first things that I did when I um, took over as the, as a center director, um, they'd had the same director at the center for like 20 years. And um, so I came in knowing there was a culture already established. Right. So I just wanted to spend time, time playing in each classroom. And I was in the, uh, what they called the pre pre-K classroom. And I just started crawling around and they all like were piling on my back and hanging on to my legs and trying to knock me over. And it turned into this humongous dog pile of me and all the pre-K kids. And there was shock (laughs) in the other teachers' faces, but it was um, just a good way to say, this is going to be okay. Now we're going to play this way sometimes. And uh, also think of, the justice issue in that, right? right? If the teachers were thinking this isn't appropriate, what they're really saying is your desire to play in this way is not okay, right? So they're yeah. telling children essentially that part of their being is not okay. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, to me, that's like the justice issue. Yeah. Like what it really boils down yeah. to is teachers are telling children that you're wrong for wanting to do this. Your body is wrong. Like the messages you're getting your from body your body is, is wrong, yeah. are wrong. And that um, that's big for me. Like yeah. we want them to, uh, you know, learn when they're hungry and when they're full and learn when they have to go to the bathroom and um, all these things that we're trying to get them to read their body for. And then the biggest messages about movement and touch, we're, we're trying to teach them that that's wrong and they should be. And the body in general, now that you yeah. talk about yes, it, and you two yeah. actually did an episode not long ago, the moral issue one oh, yeah. got into it a little bit of spending all this time with toilet training. And then as soon as you can, don't say the word poop anymore because, right. you know, so anything yeah. to do with the body, there's definitely yeah. this separation of like, we're getting you ready for school. Bodies have no place in schools. Right. Um, this is a neck up situation. It's right. a neck up situation. <laughs> like that's what Zoom is the perfect schooling situation. I'm assuming... No school is going back to in-person education because we finally got rid of their bodies. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that the idea, going back to the gender issue, is that I think that females um, in the classroom are discouraged more frequently. That's my observation. Absolutely. More yeah. frequently than, you know, the males, we allow male children to exert themselves uh, physically, but when it comes to uh, females, there's that idea that they're not supposed to do that, it's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, this is still pretty common yeah. uh, in my, and I'm thinking we're in 2021, we're still right. not encouraging. Um, and let's think about that message to exactly. girls then. You don't get control over your body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Your desire for what you want your body to do right now is wrong. Right. And right. I'm going to keep you from speaking or like doing what you need to do. Yeah. Or, you know, expressing yourself physically. Right. Yes. And that's why we get this like problem with consent and frankly, the problem with slut shaming or whatever, mm-hmm. right? There's the two poles. Yeah. And like, there's like, and we start it 
in the toddler room right. in preschool. But we but we think we're protecting, right? We think yeah. that we're we're doing and it's, you know, as, as an adult I like to say chivalry is just benevolent sexism. Like it's just yes. holding that door for me is just saying I acknowledge that you're something fragile that needs to be cared for. And so if we're thinking about these young children, these little girls in our early childhood programs, and we're saying, oh, be careful. Oh, you shouldn't play that way. Or don't, we don't push girls. We shouldn't push anybody really. (laughs) Um, All those messages add up to and feed the culture that's already there, if I'm honest. In the article also, they talked about, he talked about uh, the idea that um, some people believe rough and tumble play um, creates a feeling of dominance. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually call it bossy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm a believer that all children need an opportunity to dominate at right. one time mm-hmm. or be in control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I believe that rough and tumble plays, we talked a little bit earlier, creates an opportunity where children can make decisions about am I being too rough or not rough enough? Uh, uh, It really builds on relationships. uh, Mm -hmm. And I think that that's an important component of this because we really view still rough and tumble play as perhaps creating a sense of violence Mm -hmm. or quote, aggression that's used uh, frequently. And 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 I'm thinking that this really develops an opportunity for children to be what they need to be, uh, whatever that is, whether or not being dominant is being holding onto someone's neck and dragging them across the room, uh, or whether or not it is just saying to someone, um, go get that. Um, but everybody needs that sense of domination. Um, and I don't know where we came up with the idea that it is necessary always wrong mm-hmm. um and, and i think perfect tumble bay provides well, for that experience and yeah. in negotiation mm-hmm. and who's the most dominant person in most children's lives their mom Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. we're totally okay with them playing mom yes and it's just like wait a minute and even the mm-hmm. mom who's telling him kid it's bedtime right yeah. now baby go to sleep do yeah. this do that yeah and you know, yeah, if you want to talk domination. <laughs> but, exactly, yeah. I yeah. think we can connect both what you just said, Dan, about domination and Mike, what you were saying about um, essentially consent a little while ago that mm-hmm. in rough and tumble play, they get the, they get both experiences, right? They get that practice being the one with the power, but they also learn to read cues and when to mm-hmm. back off with the power um, right. in a much more effective way than if we sat down and read a story about consent <laughs> or whatever, yeah, right. um, or even hands are not for hitting and those kinds of things. Um, in, in that play Absolutely. with their choices and their, um, their freedom to explore, they, they have much richer opportunities than anything we could set up. And in general, that's true of play for yeah, yeah. every type of lesson, but yeah. Yeah. For yeah, sure. that's what Dan and I were talking about in the last episode. We were talking about oh, okay. charts and how play is the best way to learn community and responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a theme now. We oh, like boy. play. Yeah. We could just say that. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> just each show could be one minute long. Right. Yeah, we like play. Play is the best you way. You like to play? Do this. I like play. Okay, <laughs> okay we're done. <laughs>
But that's the, 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 the wonderful thing about play is it's so compli complicated, complex, that saying you like play isn't enough. You have to constantly like reflect, am I actually allowing for play? Did I just mm -hmm. shut something down? Oh yeah. Cause I told them, no, we have to go in now. Even though they're, the only reason we have to go in is because you know, it says 1150 on the clock or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're playing, right? So, you know, we have to, it's, it's not as easy as saying we like play. It's, we have to constantly think about, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. and there are sometimes limitations for, right. you know, when you can play, you know, like at five o'clock I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> like or, you do have to go home with your parents sure. now. Yeah. 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 Like, or you're sharing the playground space. I know you want to play, you can play with them somewhere out. else, yeah. but like, yeah, yeah. Course, there's a reason. Right. And boy, that during COVID, it's been a lot harder where <laughs> yes. um, what we haven't been, been as, a lot harder. A, as flexible in the past, you know, yeah. as we have been in the past. Yeah. Good point. Ah. So. <laughs> it's got to be over soon, right? This COVID nonsense. Um, well, what else? We are now allowed to overlap two classrooms in our playgrounds. So that's exciting for us. Oh. See, I haven't had to deal like with each any classroom of that has stuff. one partner. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because um, I just have, and it's amazing because it's still not totally free, but <laughs> it's still like it still feels much better. Yeah, like yeah, oh yeah, it doesn't matter if this group and we, you know, like stay out of the playground together or. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh man, we're learning Anyways, so much. Yeah, no, we're I think so much during change. COVID. What else? What else did you like or not like or want to talk about in the article? From the article, anything? I like the idea that he said that uh, the notion of being powerful over someone um, can be relationship building, mm. uh, where we view it as um, someone taking charge and therefore it, it's not appropriate, uh, especially as it relates to toddlers. Can you imagine uh, <laughs> saying to toddlers, whether you do it verbally or unconsciously, um, that you know, running and pushing someone uh, is an act of violence, <laughs> um, where you know he indicates you know it's an act of allowing a child to have that sense of power. And, and creating that kind of relationship is is important. I, I I was thrilled that he wrote that in in the article because again, there is that idea that pushing and shoving and um, and creating those kinds of um, mischievous um, opportunities um, is negative. And mm -hmm. he looked at it in a way that uh, was appropriate for all genders and not just uh, boys, but also girls and, mm -hmm. and any others uh, in terms of that. And I, I saw, I, I see it more frequently among toddler uh, programs where we want them to um, comply <laughs> rather than, um, because that's how we're going to make them better preschoolers. Sure. Right, because they're not babies they're anymore. Not babies. Exactly. Right. Gotta get exactly. them ready for preschool. Yep. <laughs> right, right, right. So uh, it's almost eliminating. The question is always, how do I stop kids uh, from doing this particular kind of behavior, mm -hmm. rather than how do I create a space where this can occur more frequently, mm -hmm. uh, is, is often 
still the question among uh, people who get together to talk about this subject. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you mention it because I always think of when kids start speaking, that's when teachers really shut off. Like, okay, no, you can no longer express yourself physically. Like now you have to uh-huh. um, I hadn't use your that. words. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but, but it's true. The toddler thing is true too. But I just see like kids going down the hall and friends will kind of nudge each other back and forth the whole way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, to me, I see they're showing signs of friendship. True. But True. Other, teachers Other teachers see there's teachers no compliance here. Right, right. Yourself, and I'm yeah. thinking, what? <laughs> <laughs> How is it possible? You put me with a group of children, and you right. want hands to myself, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they're both smiling and laughing as they do it too. That's right. the other thing. <laughs> yeah. Like no one's, um, I mean, right. That's the different like dominator domination mm-hmm. was the word, you know, we've been using and there's a difference between dominating in the way that you're like, I'm taking, like taking this role of power, but because you, you're okay with it mm-hmm. or whatever versus yeah. I'm doing this to you and you are trying to get away from me. You're like, literally running down the hall away from me and I'm running after you to push you right. some more. Yeah. Like saying that, stop. There's a difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so like just being able to see that, um, I, I don't know, like that's, that's definitely one that I'm, I struggle with as a a coach of how yeah. to help teachers see that. And with that specific example, yeah. So we're, we're trying to get from A to B and we think that we can do that faster if everyone just walks and there's no you know playing in line but by stopping what they are needing to do and what is not hurting anything (laughs) we create more problems because now they're going to be trying so hard to stop or they're going to keep going and we're going to get upset Uh and stop and feel like we need to correct them and it's going to eventually you know essentially take longer to get there anyway and we're all going to be more frustrated when we get there if we had just seen looked at it and said oh they don't seem to mind and we're still moving right let's just keep moving and if it took longer because they're doing something they're interested in who cares if it (laughs) takes longer like (laughs) It's like I stop when we're walking down the sidewalk and there's ants crawling and the kids have to stop and watch. Mm -hmm. I stop because look, there's ants. Like, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't I stop? Right. Like, I I don't see what, you know, like, I don't think we have to teach the kids to worry about getting to a place on time. I think Mm -hmm. we have to worry about noticing the world and Mm -hmm. all the wonderful things, whether it's relationships with their friends that want to push with me or seeing something and cool or because teachers in our teacher training programs have been taught about science with young children and how to you know bugs are science so it's easy to justify that stop maybe but we're not you know hearing most at least in mine and most people i know aren't hearing about the value of rough and tumble play in their teacher prep programs they they see that as a behavior thing but the ants are science and and it's we lose right. balance. That's yeah. So the justice issue comes up to adults, basically. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's easier to control ants than it is <laughs> to control so touching and pushing. Subject, yeah. <laughs> and to, you know, teacher Tom in one of his uh messages, and I don't believe he does a log every day, but anyhow, um, he said, are we making time for fighting? 
that received quite a bit of response from adults saying, uh, you mean <laughs> that we're going to allow children to fight? Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't say worldwide wrestling. <laughs> he said fight, <laughs> which is a real difference in terms of that. But I think that's part of this whole idea that rough and tumble play will only create chaos. Mm -hmm. um, it will only create more hurting. Even though we don't have any evidence of that, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it and seems logical. the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. And we just want to stop it. We don't want to, matter of fact, people even don't even want to talk about it in some cases because they uh, really don't know how to start it or allow it to occur. Uh, because you're right, we, we, we don't have classes um, and we have very few workshops on the subject of, of rough and tumble play, mm -hmm. because if we talk about it, then we have to allow it to take place. <laughs> Therefore, let's not talk right. about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had no, des not no desire, but I, I did not think I'd be considered one of the experts on rough and tumble. I was just like, <laughs> I'm noticing this. And then people start asking me to speak because, yes. you know, unless they're going to fly Dan in, you know, it's like, okay, you know, Mike, you'll have to speak about this. And, it, you know, it's just that thing of, wait a minute, especially I was resisting because of the gender thing. Like, I don't oh, want to yeah. be the guy. Yes. So therefore I have to talk about rough and tumble. Yeah. And yet, yeah. um, and, and, it's not only guys for sure, but right. Um, right. I mean, Francis Carlson, but it definitely right, becomes is the one who role. kind of started this yep. with the yep. big body playbook. Yep. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, I, oh, oh, no, go well, ahead. I was going to say in terms of social justice, she wanted to write that book first and realized that most people would freak out. So she wrote the book Essential Touch first. Oh, uh-huh. Actually, I think she might have one. even written most of the other book first, but then realized, first I have to just say, it is okay for, you know, teachers of all genders to interact with children. Right. I forget <laughs> that then... some programs are a scared of, of touch, period. Right, right. They're really nervous about whether it's being sued or, you know, somebody taking it too far or whatever our concerns are. I forget right. that that's even still a baseline for some people. So of course, rough and tumble play would be really scary to think about. Right. <laughs> and, and if yet, you're not even letting them hug. Yeah. Right. And yet it's just the opposite because we're talking about relationship building again. And like Mike said earlier, when to stop, when not to stop, how rough you can get versus how you know, not rough mm -hmm. uh, you are. And, and I, uh, it really provides so much opportunity for that to take place. Um, and, and I think that children need and want uh, those experiences of, of um, you're hurting me. Um, and so to be able to say, uh, stop, um, mm -hmm. let's, I don't want to play anymore, mm -hmm. um, is an indication of relationship uh, building. And where else do they what other experience can they do to create mm -hmm. that opportunity of being able to control when I want to stop and, and when I don't want to stop? Mm -hmm. It really creates a, a, a great avenue for that to take place. And I think there are people who would say, but sometimes it goes too far. And sometimes kids really do get hurt. And I haven't seen that. Like I haven't seen oh. a real injury um or even 
real fear. Um, yeah. In, in, I'd allowing. say the most dangerous thing that I've experienced in my 30 years is children putting away blocks. Like that is the oh. most dangerous right. activity that kids do. <laughs> I, I've had, you know, a teacher broke a finger doing, you know, Ouch. while it was happening. Other kids get hit in the head by blocks. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and I still actually have kids put away blocks mm -hmm. every day, let alone, you know. <laughs> and and there is some research. I think Michelle Tannock, who's done some research on rough and tumble play, I don't know if she did the research or she at least told me that, yeah, there's no evidence that rough and tumble play is any causes more injuries than any other play. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a researcher down in uh, Dallas who is finding that in pre in, sorry, elementary school, letting kids have more recess has actually decreased injuries um, because they're out there playing more and are able to they, uh, understand their bodies better. Right, and they're stronger. And they have and... less <laughs> injuries because now they're letting kids just run around and, uh -huh. you know. Shocking. So <laughs> who could have guessed? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of common sense. <laughs> it's uh I don't know. It's just weird to me sometimes how how hard people who are in a field where we say, you know, we use things like evidence-based practice and research-based programmings, pro programming, and then we're so resistant when anyone offers research that challenges an established habit right. of the culture. <laughs> but you yeah. know, when you look at when you look at even criterias of quality, mm -hmm. different forms of accreditation, uh, where is rough and tumble play on those or movement lists? at all? It's uh, not there at all. Mm -hmm. And and so we've almost viewed it as um, not important part of what quality is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I and I, I worry that even though we know that children need lots of big body movement and, and lots of opportunity for physical, uh, but we limit it by preventing rough and tumble play essentially, mm -hmm. and, and it's not in any uh, form of criteria of quality. And I, again, we create this climate um, that forbids, in some cases, um, those experiences. Mm -hmm. Which I think does contribute. I mean, I hadn't thought about it in that way in terms of whether it's on our checklists and stuff, but um, the invisibility yes. of, of movement and rough and tumble play in programs, I think contributes to this boy problem that we're so concerned about because right. part of that problem is they're getting disproportionately expelled from early yeah. childhood programs. And most often it's because of movement and mm -hmm. and things being seen as misbehavior or their needs, yeah. you know, bursting out from being repressed for so long. Um, so it's a cycle we've created and now suddenly we're really uh, worried about it. Or how many times somebody's called butt face. I actually was at a workshop that Sue Bredekamp was doing on developmentally appropriate practice. And someone asked her, is rough and tumble play appropriate? Mm. And um, I was pleased by her answer, oh, to be yeah, honest. Good. <laughs> um, but, um, but it was just so interesting that she, like clearly as she was answering that question, 
this audience who's been kind of eating up everything she said is suddenly like, how dare she say that young children need to do things physically? And I think she even went into, in her way, went into physical development is one of the ways, you know, we're always looking at the whole child that includes uh-huh. physical development. She didn't get into the empathy and all those other things yeah. that I would have argued. Um, so, uh, but yeah, people were like so surprised that yeah. she would say, now admittedly, she didn't really put it in her book either way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. What's, that it's developmentally appropriate. But, um, uh, but clearly she was like, you know, um, whatever, you know, it's sort of like, well, of course, like, yeah. so you know, wonder- once it was brought up to her and that's part of the culture thing. No one thought right. to put it in. Right. But then it was like, well, yeah, if you think about it, if you just mm-hmm. reflect on what I'm saying here, then yes, of course it's okay. Yeah. But yeah, culturally, culture is so strong that even though it's not written anywhere and we have no research to back it, people will, you know, we can't have kids pretending to use guns. We can't have kids calling each other butt face. Right. And, um, and of course the roughhousing thing, like there's nothing anywhere that shows that. Yeah. It's just, um, so, but of course, most people who are interested in rough and tumble play as kids don't usually grow up to become early childhood educators, oh. right? That yeah. That's a piece of it, I think, is, yeah. um, people who are into rough and tumble tend to like that, who really like it, tend to want that adrenaline rush. And so they get get it from In a typical early childhood, yeah. Yeah. I think that Francis Wardle maybe talks about that a little bit in his Oh Boy book. Yeah. Um, And I know I've heard you talk about it too, Mike, but I was like, what does that remind me of? But yeah. Um, People people will even create rules that don't exist. They say, licensing won't let me and i'm thinking yes. i've reviewed most states licensing requirements right. and i see nothing that says not does say make it safe so that children are capable of doing right. movement which is natural but to right. say that they won't allow rough and tumble play uh, i don't know where that exists yeah i mean there might be actually i do know at least oh. one state georgia oh. in their Licensing, which, um, so Frances Carlson, who we were talking about, that's where she teaches. So whenever she teaches in her own state, she has to say, I'm going to tell you what research shows is good for children. But I also have to tell you that licensing tells you you're not allowed to, to allow kids to oh, wow. play fight, I think is what it says. Uh-huh. So she oh, has you know to what? give I that. I think Indiana might too, now that you say yeah. that. I think Indiana, at least when I was a center director, um, said play fighting was something you shouldn't right. have and do. And so for me, it's like, don't call play fighting then call it roughhousing. <laughs> I don't allow play fighting. I like, I allow roughhousing. Right. It, that's, that's the difference. We can play that game all day long. Yeah. <laughs> I call it big movement. No, I don't think so. Right. <laughs> it's fighting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> call uh, yeah. conservation of momentum studies. <laughs> <laughs> We are really good at euphemisms in the, in early childhood. So let's just take advantage of <laughs> yeah, that yeah, and, right. and use it for our own, for our own purposes. Um, I'd like this. So the very last paragraph of the article, he starts by saying these days it's risky being an early childhood educator. Yes. Um, and then he goes on to say, when we allow ourselves to remain unsettled and carry a willingness to be disturbed, we open a floodgate of possibilities. And I, 
I think that's what we've been talking about is people are worried about the way it makes them feel when they hear that this is okay or when they watch it happen. Um, like my, my colleague at the preschool is really open to it. She'd never thought about uh, rough and tumble play or rough housing being a developmental good um, because she's an SLP and not an early childhood person. And, um, but she's open to it, but she's really, she, it, she really struggles because she feels uncomfortable watching it. So, um, so I, I know that there are folks that it will be hard for, but that's where learning happens, right? When we're uncomfortable and we're taking risks and um, that's where we grow. And, and I think Heather, you and I talked about this a little bit the, at last session is the fact that per not permitting rough and tumble play might give me less control mm. uh, as an adult. So that's that need still to be quote um, in control uh, is, is viewed as out of control if we allow right. uh, rough and tumble play. Right. How does that reflect on me uh, as a teacher? I think is part of the, the reason why rough and tumble play is often in question mm -hmm. um and i and i think that last paragraph um that he writes provides that opportunity to recognize that yes um there is perhaps some concern but uh it's not the um, major development that that decides whether or not rough and tumble play is important mm -hmm. yeah Yep. <laughs> I might be running out of words. <laughs> I'm, I'm at the point where I'm just listening and agreeing now. So <laughs> unless you both eat, either of you have something you were dying to get in, maybe this is a time. to. I was thinking out. of just reading, you know, I'd found um, a speech I had done like four years ago recently. And I think it like, it's funny because now I'm reading it now. It's like, oh, this is even better. But if I, I'll just read this rather than trying to remember. Yeah. So we need to make sure that we are creating a culture of consent in our classrooms so that children of all genders learn what it means to have ownership over their bodies. We need to reject the old notion of boys will be boys while also refraining from pathologizing the desire for some children to play rough. Rather than banning certain play, we need children to learn to make sure they only play with others who want to play the same way. That is consent. That is what every child needs to learn. Mm -hmm. That's good. Also, I love the word pathologizing. It's one of my new favorites. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we can pathologize a lot. We, we're really good at it. Yeah. Did you have something you were going to say, Dan? I jumped in. I, no, I, I think that that's a crucial statement, Mike, that you made. And I think, I think we would agree that uh, it's important no matter what gender. Um, yes. And it's just an essential uh, part of natural experiences and being able to decide for yourself as a child um, who is involved in your play. Um, it's a voluntary component. It, it creates um, self-confidence. It allows children um, to be natural in, in their experiences is part of what really needs um, to happen. And and really needs to be allowed um, to create those experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this, um, uh, this has been such a great conversation. I, um, I have a lot to think about after listening to this one. <laughs> <laughs>
So I appreciate both of you sharing so much and bringing so much to it um, and joining me on a Saturday morning. Um, All right. So thank you both for being here. And um, uh, thanks everybody for listening. And I hope you'll come back for our next episode. Goodbye.